Okay, if you're, if you're hearing this, it means that you have delved back into the early episodes of the show. And whilst we really appreciate that, we just want to give a, I guess, a little disclaimer, Mateus. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the early episodes, I was editing this whole thing on a very amateur platform, and we basically just recorded a Zoom call. So um, that's why the quality isn't, you know, awesome. Yeah, we, we didn't have proper microphones. We didn't have proper headphones. But thankfully, it's grown grown into something that's, that's fairly successful now. We were able to have proper equipment and hire people to take care of all that pesky um, audio side of things. But we just wanted to put this out there and let people know that if if you do check out the early episodes and the sound quality isn't perfect, which we know it isn't, please just jump ahead and listen to some of those layer episodes. I don't know if you've got a couple that you particularly like that people can start on, Matthias. Oh, I mean, some of my favorites are, of course, uh, the Howl episodes we did with the Ed Gamester or um, uh, the talks that we had with uh, Shane as well. They were hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously, we've got fan favorites like Ina Selvik and all of Highland who joined us for an episode. Um, and Lisa Gedalia was one of my personal favorites. Yes, and Terry Gunnell as well has some very interesting talks with some really high-profile professors. So go check him out. And now we're just dropping names. Now we're just dropping names. <laughs> <laughs> no, we thank you for, for starting out of the early episodes. And please do listen to them. We, you know, we put, still put a lot of love and effort into them. But you do have to bear with us on the on the audio side of things. It does get better as you go through the episodes. And, and I guess it's quite a... Some people enjoy seeing us go through that motion and go from amateur to a little less amateur, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's jump into the show. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, co-owner of the company Horns Voting, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvig. Hello, everybody. So on this episode, we're going to be looking at the terminology around the, the word Norse, the word Viking, the word Nordic, and what they all mean, how they differentiate between each other, and then we're going to have a look at... Um, the word Germanic, Anglo-Saxon, the, the Normans, Northmen, and look at a, a wider, take a wider look at what all these things mean and how they relate to, to the Vikings. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, but hey, uh, first of all, um, happy Yule. We, we have now passed into the next uh, year and everything. So Daniel, how was your Yule it was good. Um, yeah, we're into a new decade, in fact. So yeah. uh, nothing, to be honest, nothing feels any different. It's the same as uh, a few days ago, but, but that's how these things work. Um, yeah, it was an exciting, an exciting year for me. Um, three days before Christmas, went to a, a cave party, which is as fun as it sounds, a party in a in a cave. Decided <laughs> to drink a little bit too much mead, slip on a rock and... and cracked my head open um, oh. <laughs> so yeah so i ended up in 
ended up in accident and emergency with 13 stitches in my head at two o'clock in the morning. But you Ouch. know, that's <laughs> that's the that's the price you pay for headbutting mountains. That that is how it goes. It it sounds very much like a, a you know a story worthy of Thor right there. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that that's actually what came to my mind was the. Um, the story when Thor had the whetstone sticking out of his head. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's all, that's all I could think about. That's what was getting me through was uh, how very much like Thor I must be. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you? What have you been up to? Um, so, well, well, I have had a much more um, quiet Christmas, uh, Yule, I guess. <laughs> I've been to, uh, in Chicago um, on that uh, yearly trip. I, I take across the plains, driving the distance of, uh, I think it's something like, you know, the distance from Berlin to Moscow, pretty much, because the U.S. is huge. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, I yeah, uh, spent, uh, spent time with family over there and um, um, nothing, nothing much to report. I, uh, I did get pulled over by a state trooper in Nebraska, but uh, <laughs> they let me off with a warning. It's going a couple of miles over the speed limit. <laughs> Nothing quite as exciting as uh, falling over and banging your head, I guess. No, no. But I was reminded of the old Anvil song, Napped in Nebraska, when uh, when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> so you had a you've had a good a good Yule, a good Christmas. Absolutely, yeah. It was I would great. say all refreshed, but you've been on the road. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the road trip is one thing. Um, as a European, to me, road tripping through the U.S., even when it's across, you know, these uh, the Midwest and these uh, very flat areas, it's still somewhat of a novelty. I mean, you don't you don't get to do that that often when when you live in Europe, right? No, um, I, it's definitely something on my bucket list one day to uh, to do a little road trip across America and. Yeah, see all the different sides. There's pl- there's plenty of places to see. I mean, uh, so so <laughs> this might sound a little weird to uh, to some people, but um, I'm actually I have like a, a sort of a soft spot in uh, in my heart for um, um, Lincoln and Omaha in in Nebraska um, um, because. Those are the cities where I always make a stop for for one reason or another, um, especially in Lincoln for their big international licorice store. You know, we Scandinavians, we love our <laughs> salty licorice. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd be stopping there. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> licorice isn't uh, isn't my uh, my favorite thing. Each to their own. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Um, Quickly before we before we jump into it, I was going to say for anybody who listened to the last episode and thought that Darth Vader made an appearance in the background, it was in fact just me and my nose. <laughs> <laughs> I had I had nose surgery a few weeks ago um, before the head injury, um, so that is why sometimes you may hear me breathing a little louder than normal. Hopefully, it will will pass and everything will go back to normal. Yeah, and on that note, I want to thank everybody who uh, listens to our podcast because we are both very well aware that uh, this is amateur production. And uh, we are, of course, working on improving um, both the way that we make the podcast and also the equipment that we use for it. So um, as long as you guys uh, hang on, we, we will 
We will sound professional one day. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're we're trying. I guess we're uh, we're learning on the job, as people would say. We're we're figuring it out. We totally are. So yeah, let let's jump into it and let's. I know this is this is a subject that you picked. You're definitely going to be teaching me as always. Um, so yeah, I mean, so the word Norse. Let's let's get into that and its history. Um, yeah, yeah, take it away. Yeah. So um, the reason the, the reason that I picked this subject is because um, you know it, the word Norse gets thrown around a lot these days, and I thought it would be interesting for people who are interested in the, all these subjects that have to do with the Viking Age and the uh, Scandinavian past uh, to, to hear a little bit about. Where does that word come from? What is its original use? And why is it all of a sudden all over everything? Um, I think to a lot of people, it sounds perhaps normal to just use the word Norse when we talk about Vikings and Scandinavians. But um, as always, history is a little more complex, right? Yeah, I mean, I I would say certainly it's when, you know, when we're making posts on Instagram or or Facebook or whatever, it's it's kind of the word you interchange with with Viking. It's you know, if you don't want to write Viking ten times in a post, you you swap it out <laughs> for the Norse or the Norsemen or any other, you know, thing that, that fits in there nicely. But as you are gonna teach us, there is a difference. Yeah. I'll probably be doing it wrong. There's a little more to it. <laughs> so First of all, the the history of the word Norse in the English language uh, is that it comes from Dutch. And it was um, the word that the Dutch used back in the late 1500s, Norse, for Norwegian. Um, And and it comes from a reduced form, Norge, with a D in it, um, which means Northern or Nordic. And that's, of course, from the word Nord, uh, which is the same as North. So um, that, of course, first of all, tells us that the, the um, meaning of the word originally in, in the English language is borrowed from, from the Dutch. And it is particular to Nor- Norway as such. We're talking about Norwegians here. Um, there's also a little bit of influence from Danish and Norwegian, the word Norsk. Um, which also just means Norwegian. One of the things that uh, that seems to happen in the 1600s, the late 1600s, is that uh, the word Norse in, in the English language then starts being applied to the languages that are being spoken in the North, primarily in Norway and Iceland. And, um, and then we get in the uh, 1800s, we get Old Norse uh, attested as this, uh, um, the way that, or the, the word that we use uh, to talk about um, these old languages in uh, the North Atlantic region. So, well, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means simply that um, the word Norse originally is applied to Norway. And, and when, when English speakers would be using that word, they would be talking about Norwegians. They wouldn't be talking about Danes or Swedes, and technically also not Icelanders. 
in the 19th century, when we start using that word Old Norse uh, to talk uh, specifically about the North Atlantic languages, that comes under influence from another word, Norrein, um, which is a Icelandic word for um, uh, the, no the northern regions and uh, the language and culture. This word in the 19th century is being used to distinguish the Western Nordic languages from the Eastern Nordic languages. And the Eastern Nordic languages are Danish and Swedish and various dialects, including some Norwegian dialects. And the Western Nordic languages are the uh, primarily the Western Norwegian uh, dialects and Northern Norwegian dialects. And then the languages that are spoken in Iceland and the Faroe Islands, and technically also way back before the um, collapse of the uh, Norse society in Greenland, also the language that was spoken by them there. So that's sort of the baseline. Um, what, what happens is that um, in, in English, then because the stories about Vikings, um, Nordic mythology uh, is written uh, in Iceland in the 13th century. That's when we then start using that term um, to talk about Vikings too, right? Um, we, we, we talk about, for instance, when we say Norse mythology or old Norse mythology, that is in a sense correct because uh, the mythology is primarily written down in a 13th century language that was spoken in Iceland, which is an outlier of the Norwegian languages and therefore can be called Norse. <laughs> That's the complex history behind that, right? Ultimately, however, what this means is, of course, that the word doesn't actually apply to, say, um, Vikings in the 700s unless, I guess, they come from Norway. Every time we have these conversations, there's these little light bulb moments that go off in my head that I realise things that should really have been so obvious, but but weren't. Like then when you were talking about, you know, the different dialects of North, you know, North Norway to East to West to South. I guess I'd always had this this thought of Old Norse. Everybody speaks the exact same. You know the. I guess it's just the way that we speak and it's, it's, it's oversimplified sometimes that you say Old Norse and in my head I just thought, oh, well, everyone speaks the exact same thing, which I guess living in England should have made more sense because we have different dialects and accents literally, you know, 10 miles down the road, somebody speaks completely different to me, but it's, I guess it, it, it takes somebody to say it bluntly for... For the light bulb to switch on and go, oh, you know, hang on, maybe there is actually very different dialects in, in such a small area. Yeah, and uh, I, I think first of all that it's very natural to 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 think like that. Uh, and if if you don't have, if you're not particularly familiar with a region and people from a region, then then it's. First of all, very easy to lump them all together, and and then secondly, um, um, perhaps also very easy uh, to think that oh, they're all speaking the same language or the same kind of language or or something like that. Um, I mean, if we if we go to some of the ways that um, 
we Westerners, Europeans think about other places in the world, simple thing is that we tend to talk about Africa, this massive continent, as like one thing, which it definitely isn't. It's a lot of different things, right? Um, so that's just one example. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. that's that's how it goes, right? Yeah, that's that's, that's a, a perfect point of like you say with Africa. I think it's so easy to forget just how big, just how big it is, and you see so you know people speak about Africa so broadly, of of kind of like being one place. Whereas I guess you wouldn't do the same as for, for you know say like the whole of. America, the continent being like north and south, you wouldn't kind of just lump that into to one thing and as and I just assume it was all the same. No, because we as Europeans we're familiar with uh, the difference between at least Canada and the United States, right? <laughs> so that's the start, and it all that that is always what it comes down to: familiarity with something, right? Um, are, are we familiar with uh, with the region that we're speaking about? Then we also add more detail and of course that's my job when it comes to Scandinavia add, to, to add more detail to to people's knowledge <laughs> yeah you certainly have been doing that with me anyway so the the next thing we want to look at was the word viking um, I think it's gonna be a quick sort of brief touch on it I think we've spoken about it before I think most people do have a general understanding of what the word m- meant in a in a literal sense yeah 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 so i mean the, the, the word viking we've talked about it before on on the podcast and, and this is just to recap the basics of that um it means some some kind of person primarily male probably on a military expedition um, or trading expedition in that period of time that we call the viking age uh it's not uh, an ethnonym that means it's not describing some kind of ethnicity, um, and and it was also a minority of the population in Scandinavia in the Viking Age that were actually Vikings. But it's fair to define, I would say, the Viking Age as the Viking Age because if anything, uh, the word Viking associates these military expeditions with uh, ships and the shipping, the ship technology of Scandinavia at the time, which was very distinct. Um, but that, of course, then uh, brings us to the that subject of Norse, right? Um, we shouldn't conflate Viking with Norse because a, um, a Viking um, cannot really be said to have been a Norse-speaking person uh, simply for, uh, because of the fact that the language that is being spoken in Scandinavia in the Viking Age broadly is... Um, if anything, I guess, proto-Norse, right? Uh, in context of Norway and proto-Icelandic, uh, um, proto-Danish, proto-Swedish, and so on. The Icelanders, uh, curiously, um, actually called this language that was spoken back then Dönsk Tunga, which means the Danish tongue. So... And that, I know that uh, actually that annoys some of my fellow Scandinavians here and there, um, <laughs> because that of course gives in some some weird universe it gives some Danes the the ability to to claim it as theirs or something like that. I don't know what, um, 
but this this is of course um this tells us then that that the the word danish um was somehow applicable to to if nothing else the 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 language as such um in 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 that period of time and there can be many reasons for that i think probably the most the simplest explanation uh for why icelanders in the in the medieval period refers to the, the their language in an older form as danish tongue is probably their familiarity with um the the, the use of the word Dane and Danish in the British Isles. And we all know how, how these things work. There's a reason that uh, Germany is called Aleman in France. That's because the Alemanni, a tribe of Germanic-speaking peoples, um, are closest to the French borders. Um, and, and so the word has been applied, their tribal name has been applied to that whole group of people. Which of course isn't necessarily um, uh, the same to say that the Alemanni are representative of all those peoples that lived in Germany at, at the time when the word was used, right? So again, listening to that makes me makes me think that I need to remember that not not the, the geographical country names now didn't necessarily apply apply back then. Um, so you say with Germany, it's not going to be known as Germany is now and the borders aren't going to be the same as what they are now. And it's so easy to fall into that trap of of what we know as in the modern day, kind of like almost having to forget that and rewrite and rewire what what you automatically just apply over over things to, to try and understand it better, I guess. Yeah, and 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 think of how quickly that happens. 70 years ago. Half of what is now Poland was German and had been there for a long time, and I I never think about that personally, <laughs> you know. No, <laughs> no, you soon, yeah, like you say. I mean, I guess Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe is a is a good one to look at because it seems to be, in the last, you know, like say seventy hundred years, it's been changing quite a lot. You've got, you know, a lot of former USSR countries that have now become their own free states free countries and you know it's it's always changing it's always different Mm -hmm. yeah and 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 borders get redrawn all the time um i I mean that that has also happened in scandinavia um a a lot right yeah I i guess borders get redrawn no more than when you're literally working on you know the, the the greatest fighter or the greatest warrior, the greatest army owns the land or owns the land that basically that they walk on and, and yeah. stake claim to. So yeah. as quickly as you can draw the borders, I'm sure they're being rewritten in in some form somewhere. I used to say that there, there are two kinds of people in history. Um, there are there are those there are the people of um, power, those higher up elites, and then there's everybody else. Uh, <laughs> and those 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 in power they're the ones who draw the borders and then everybody else has to fall in line um through different methods right yeah i and, guess i guess again going back to the point of just having to remember that we don't you know we live in a different time that we we don't live in that time now where you you know i 
I couldn't raise an army and you know go down to to Buckingham Palace and and kill the Queen and then be like, oh, you know, I'm King of England now. <laughs> you know that that's just not possible anymore. It's now become a, a lineage thing, and you know you pass it on through through bloodline, and it's not going to change hands anytime soon. Yeah, those so, things have solidified a lot. <laughs> yeah, whereas obviously back a thousand years ago, those things changed quite often and very easily depending on who was the strongest and who, <clears throat> I guess it was who people put their faith in as well. If you could represent to the, the, the people of the village or the, the town that you were, you know, you were a strong leader and you were, you were going to do better than the person who was in, in charge and you could get those, those people to follow you. Well, suddenly you could be the, be the new king. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we, I think because of, you know, the last uh, 150, 200 years where we've been thinking about nation states so much, we, we tend to have a very set idea of what uh, that, uh, like what it means uh, that a king or queen rules a territory. Um, that was very different back then. And I mean, a great example of this is that what I guess technically would be the homeland of the tribe called the Danes is now Southern Sweden. And it has been for some 300 years. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> Denmark has, has moved a little to the west from where it was actually originally situated. <laughs> And those those are some of the things that you know always change, right? Yeah, that, that's another thing you've just taught me that I didn't know. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I guess. Well, that's what we're here for. That's what the uh, the podcast is all about. Yeah. So the next thing you want to talk about is pretty interesting to me, um, and it's the word Nordic. Now, mm-hmm. I assume that I'm like everybody else, unless I've been missing out on something that I just thought the Nordic was the same as Norse, but just spelled a little bit different. <laughs> I realised that, that there was a you know a difference between the two words. Um, yes. until, you told me, until about half an hour ago, you you know in the pre-show talk, you told me that there is. So go ahead, feel free to embarrass me once again with my lack of knowledge. <laughs> oh no no. <laughs> okay, so yeah, well the term Nordic is. Um, in many ways, uh, fairly modern, uh, at least in the, in the ways that we understand it today and, and use it, um, yes, as you say, often it's interchangeable with Norse, but um, Nordic as such actually denotes the, that entire region of, of um, uh, first of all, the Scandinavian Peninsula. We have the Danish archipelago and the Atlantic Peninsula included in that. And you can always ask yourself, how far down in northern Germany, Germany do we want to go? There's, um, as we just talked about borders before, again, the borders in northern Germany and southern Denmark have, have changed a lot over the years. Um, aside from that, we have Finland that uh, rightfully should be included in the term Nordic. And we have Iceland, we have the Faroe Islands, and we have Greenland as well. And... In so many ways, Nordic denotes some kind of more or less modern, semi-elusive identity in the sense that the peoples in this region 
have some kind of knowledge that they have commonalities uh, between one another. But at the same time, also are very focused and, and uh, conscious about the distinctions between one another. Um, and just to give you a little example, of course, um, uh, uh, Greenland is uh, primarily um, Inuit. Um, so they are a North American um, uh, peoples, um, an indigenous people, uh, as opposed to uh, the country that otherwise says that the, uh, is their uh, ruling country, which is my home country, Denmark, which is Scandinavian country. So, so there's that difference. We have Finland on the other side who, uh, that is culturally in so many ways linked to Scandinavia, but linguistically uh, very different uh, from Scandinavia, but can be included into the term uh, Nordic because of that long history and also because of current uh, political and social and societal uh, commonalities. Yeah, I mean, for me, Finland is one that I certainly don't don't know enough about. I think it would be interesting to to look at that at some point in the future. Um, because I guess I've always assumed it to be similar to, to you kind of you kind of put it into that group of Norway, Sweden, Finland, those kind of three finger like countries south there, all next to each other. Um, so I've always banded them together and kind of you just assume it's one of the Viking countries but I know very little about activity that actually went on there mm. or, you uh, see this is actually where um, some a curious thing happens because um, in that sense your lack of knowledge uh, is actually more correct than <laughs> that the uh, uh, the, the, the higher level of knowledge that Scandinavians have about each other uh, that makes them think that uh, each other are more distinct <laughs> than they actually are. So, well, Finland's history is, of course, complex, but uh, uh, to cut it short, uh, first of all, uh, the territory that is now Finland, most of it has been a, a part of Sweden for about 700 years. That right there... Uh, of course, then establishes a very strong cultural commonality um, across that little piece of Baltic Sea that you have between them. Um, we have a Swedish-speaking minority in Finland that has been there since the Viking Age. Um, we can see that on certain linguistic aspects of the Swedish language. Aside from that, um, Finland rightfully only comes into existence in 1809 when it is conquered from Sweden uh, by Russia. And, and at that time, uh, that Finland proper exists uh, or consists of uh, several um, ethnicities. The Finns are the majority of it of them, um, but, but we also have Sami people, we have... Um, um, uh, some some Slavic peoples and 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 such. So so it's actually a very complex tapestry. And then Finland, as as the country that we know it today and the culture that we know today, emerges through that period. So, so in in terms of when we 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 speak say or say Finland, when it comes to the actual Viking Age, then it doesn't. It, we're basically saying that it doesn't exist as a as a country then it's it's just kind of we've got norway 
in Sweden. It's not until later that a Finnish state is is made. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, well, technically, uh, you could also question the existence of Sweden and Norway in the Viking Age, <laughs> <laughs> um, to some extent, at least. Uh, so, I mean, the national history of Norway is Norway uh, is assembled um, in that period from. 870 to uh, sometime in the 900s, early 900s, uh, by Harold Finehair or Fairhair. But when you when you start digging into the actual political situation of that time period, you could question how much he actually assembles a kingdom, and how much he just manages to establish alliances between local chieftains who might call themselves kings, and how frail those alliances are, how much there's back and forth and so on. We know, we know this from the, 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 the literature, uh, the, uh, the saga literature and historical writings that, you know, the, these uh, kings in uh, the Western part of Norway, they constantly have a problem with some very powerful earls, they're called, but they could probably also be called kings up in the Northern parts. So, so they're, seems to be two power bases in Norway throughout the Viking Age, um, which only, and then we only really have a consolidation with uh, the the two Olavs, um, Olaf Tryggvason and Saint Olaf, and so on. And, you know, with Sweden, it's a, it's a, a curious tapestry, again, with uh, different polities. Uh, the Svea are definitely a, a unit uh, on that day, eastern coast of Sweden, but we also have the more elusive Jörtar, we have Jämtland as another site of, of some kind of power, and and as I mentioned before, the southern tip of Sweden uh, seems to belong to the Danish king throughout that period. And then we have Swedes on the other side, and they have some kind of relationship to the Swedes back in Sweden, and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of back and forth, and we can definitely not talk about you know, consolidated kingdoms, um, not, not with Denmark either. Um, Denmark, to some extent, is, is perhaps a little more coherent at an earlier stage. But again, um, you know, frail alliances, um, local chieftains that might, you know, gain more power and so on, multiple, uh, I would call them ethnic identities in these areas. And yeah, many of them speak languages that are similar to one another, um, perhaps what we could call dialects of, of that Nordic language that, you know, then materializes, materializes into Western Nordic and Eastern Nordic and all that stuff later on in the medieval period. But basically, um, we shouldn't get too hung up on these ideas of, of, of states um, that are coherent with set borders in the same way as they have been for the last two, 300 years. So it's it, it's complicated. It is complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel like I need to lay down after these podcasts. My head just wants to explode. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like we were saying before, borders are always changing, and I guess there isn't a a unified Norway, Sweden, Denmark. You, you've got all these little little territories within that are all kind of vying for their own yeah and, and and with the you know shifting alliances between them um, once in a while uh, you have a chieftain in 
in, in a region that that will side with the king in Switzerland, and then you know sometimes you might side with the king in Denmark, and so on. And uh, that is very important to to keep in mind when we talk about these things. And that just to bring us all uh, us back to the subject of Finland in context of the Viking Age, um, because of the ways that we have been thinking about these polities back then as sort of mirroring modern nations, the nations that we know today, Finland has traditionally not been included that much in the Viking Age. Once in a while, you get a little tip of the hat to them and so on. Um, and that is, in my opinion, uh, fundamentally unfair because Finland, uh, if we look at the archaeology of Finland, we can see that Finland is as much part of, of uh, Viking Age Scandinavia as the rest of uh, Viking Age Scandinavia is. And it's an important uh, part of, of the trade routes, of course, that go to the east. Um, so so the, the Finns should also um, ultimately be considered Vikings in this period, if we want to consider Danes or Swedes or Norwegians and especially Icelanders as Vikings. Just jump back to what we were saying about kind of like broken, broken territories and kingdoms. The, I, I guess for, for me to put it into a perspective that I understand or that I can relate to is, is when it comes to like England at the time or, or the lack of a, you know, a united England and all the different kingdoms within within Britain. And it, it literally takes the Viking invasion for a united England to come about kind of to, I guess, to, to, to defend and take back the, the territories that are lost. And it's not until sort of Alfred comes along and we get a, at least what is claimed as the first king of England. Mm-hmm. So even, you know, it's not just across Scandinavia. It, it's, I guess, it's a global thing that it's all these different different territories all vying for, for little bits of power. They're all, they've all got their own kings. And I, and I think it's, uh, by the way, pretty cool that you say that Alfred the Great is claimed as the first king of, uh, of a united England, right? Because that is one of the things that we can rightfully question how much of a... Uh, king of, of a united England was he and, and so on. He's definitely been made into that in later national myths about England, right? That's exactly the same thing that has been happening in Scandinavia. Each of these countries have been picking some kind of uh, ancient king to say, this this is the guy who's responsible for, for what we are today, right? And that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's almost... <laughs> It's just history and doing what history does, and people glorifying and making things. You know, your people have to be bigger than life when it's not necessarily always the case. I mean, if you do a quick Google search of the first king of England, it always comes back as as Alfred. But you can look into. You know, there's a lot of things going on at that at that time, and yeah. it's like I say, it's probably it's, it's the same with uh, Harold Finehair. It's it's their reputation precedes them and. And it's built up into this huge thing of, of the, you know, he's the first one to uni- unify, but it's not always as, as simple as that. No, exactly. No, and, it, and it's the same when we have, uh, you know, a king like Harold Bluetooth who claims that he Christianized the Danes, right? Um, he wrote that on a runestone in 965 approximately. And, and again, we have to ask ourselves, how much did he actually manage to do that? We know that Swain Fortbeard, his, his son, rose up against him 
with a bunch of heathens in his army and and so on so so yeah it's always uh, how much how much do you want to reduce a history to one sort of one track and just to uh, sort of um, round up this talk about and, and this concept of Nordic um, I also want to point out that you know in so in some ways you can also rightfully I- include the British Isles in the concept of Nordic in this period of time at least to some extent and perhaps in some parts of the British Isles more than others Scotland is a is a very good example of 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 a part of the British Isles that uh, that in so many ways has very close connections northern england as well to scandinavia shares cultural patterns and so on and it's it's interesting to consider that um where do you find myths about uh, uh seal people the selkies right you find them in Scotland, you find them in Denmark and Norway and Iceland and the Faroe Islands and, and in Greenland and, and over there. That's just like a curious little example of some kind of commonality that you find in, in folk tales and myths, right? And yeah, so, so so you can also sort of like broaden the perspective of what is uh, Nordic. And you can also, I would say rightfully today, include... The Baltic countries, um, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, that that also share a lot of cultural commonalities with those countries across the Baltic Sea. So let's jump on to the, the next one. I don't know if we've touched on this a little bit in in our last talk. Is what it, what it means to be Scandinavian? Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, because that's yeah, that, that that's also an important um a word to 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 get a better sense of because um again what we probably see a lot is this application of the the term scandinavian to uh, broadly to the this region known as nordic and also probably conflated with the word norse i i feel like i see that um a lot here and there and well scandinavia rightfully are at least in a geographical sense only Norway and Sweden. And then we tend to include the Danish archipelago and the Jutland Peninsula uh, because of linguistic and cultural uh, similarities that are very strong between um, these three countries. But then you start wondering, right? Because as I just mentioned, Finland has a lot of cultural similarities and also a geographical attachment to the Scandinavian peninsula. Um, but it's usually not included in the term, because of, um, especially because of the linguistic differences. As To those listeners who don't know, uh, the Finnish language is a, uh, a Finno-Ugric language, which finds its uh, closest relatives in Europe in Estonian and Hungarian. And does not have a lot of um, um, basic commonalities with uh, the other Scandinavian languages. So that's one of the things that uh, people tend to focus on, right? And when we talk about uh, things that have to do with mythology, the the Finns have the Kalevala as as their mythology, and the Scandinavians typically claim Norse mythology as their mythology, right? And see a big distinction between the two. we, we, I think a lot of Scandinavians have a knee-jerk reaction 
against the, the idea of, of including Finnish mythology in a broader concept of Scandinavian mythology. And most of that simply comes down to like these old delineations between what can we call Scandinavian, what can we call Finnish and other things. And again, I'd say, you know, <laughs> those, those ways of, uh, of partitioning the region are perhaps more constructed than real. And that's the same with Iceland. Iceland is geographically not part of Scandinavia. Um, it's an island in the North Atlantic, but on the other hand, linguistically and uh, culturally, it is fundamentally uh, as part of Scandinavia. So where do we draw the line? Uh, much of that actually nowadays comes down to what, what kind of politics are you promoting in your own country and which branch of, of different kinds of politics do you belong to? Um, a lot of Scandinavians would, for instance, say that the Danes are a little too German for their taste, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, my my very basic understanding of what, if I was to say Scandinavia, I, I would always just assume it was Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, Iceland. That yeah. would be kind of how I would interpret the word Scandinavia. Yeah, and again, again, this uh, the the what what you could say uh, is some kind of like lack of 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 cultural uh, distinct cultural knowledge in that context. Actually, I would say ends up making you more right than us Scandinavians who are so busy uh, defining each other as different from each other, <laughs> because there are more cultural, linguistic, and societal and social, as I mentioned. Uh, commonalities um, than differences. Yeah, it seems to be a case of what happens so many times in different areas of outsiders look and go, well, it's really simple. It's Norway, Sweden, Finland, Iceland, Denmark, whereas the people within and involved kind of go, yeah, but hang on. No, <laughs> you're not. And, no, you're like, you know, all the way over in the Atlantic Sea, Atlantic, yeah, yeah, Atlantic yeah. Sea. I had to check that one again. <laughs> but you know, it's like, it's like externally. I mean, I assume I'm not alone in in thinking that those would be the five countries that you call Scandinavia. But obviously, people from within what I would call Scandinavia might not necessarily agree with my definition of it. No, uh, yeah, and I think if you ask the average Finnish person, are you Scandinavian, they would say no. And if you ask the average Norwegian person if the Finns are Scandinavian, they would say no. Um, some Icelanders would, in my opinion, hilariously claim that they're North American because, you know, they're situated on the North Atlantic Ridge. So which mean, that means that part of Iceland at least is on the, you know, Ge geographically and part of the North American continent, right? <laughs> but hey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, like you said, I guess it's it's how you define define Scandinavia, whether you, it's a, a geographical location or whether it's, you know, a his your, your history. I mean, because it's undeniable that the history of Iceland links closer, you know, it, it, it couldn't be any closer to Norway Sweden, Denmark, 
it is literally made up from peoples that, that came from that area. So for me, you would always assume that it is a, a Scandinavian country, regardless of its geographical country. And again, trying to relate that back to, to things that I understand, that's to, it's like the Falklands. Um, obviously, for people who don't know, the Falklands is an island down off the coast of Argentina. Britain have owned, in quotation marks, the Falklands for, for a long time. I think 98% of the people that live there, you know, they are British citizens. They they relate to being British citizens. So for us, it is a British island. And I guess that's similar in respect to Iceland. Is It's not next to to the other Scandinavian countries, but you would, because of, because of the people that live there, you would just always assume it to be one of those countries. Yeah, yeah, and it's, uh, I mean, the, the Icelandic culture is a Scandinavian culture. I mean, it's distinctly its own. It, it, had, it has its own identity and its own idiosyncrasies, right? But, but, but it's part of that cultural commonality of, of Scandinavia, simply. And I'd say the same thing goes for Finland. Um, and, and yeah, we can all, always discuss, um, you know, details and footnotes about all of that. So let's get into that. <laughs> As in, funny enough, that's the next thing on the list. <laughs> yes. So it's like we almost planned this one. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, going off on this, like, okay, so now we have sort of established that, well, Scandinavia is in very, very like uh, strictly speaking terms, it's a geographic uh, phenomenon that is just that peninsula uh, on which the countries Norway and Sweden are situated. But in terms of culture, it's much broader. Um, it is applied a little narrow, uh, but it's actually a little broader. So what about these uh, five countries um, that could be uh, said could be said to belong to this um, um, cultural uh, community, and this is the interesting thing, right? Because when we're talking about Vikings in this regard, I think most of our listeners would, if I say just the word Viking, um, and they would have to like place that in in a geographical context, they probably place a Viking in Norway or uh, in Iceland, and that's a very good marketing. Uh, <laughs> especially for Iceland. Um, so in the Viking Age, what we have are these different polities that are situated in that geographical region that we call Scandinavia, the peninsula, right? What is now Norway and Sweden. And then also Denmark, the archipelago of De Denmark and the Jutland Peninsula. This is what we would perhaps um, define as sort of like the core of of from where Viking culture emanates. But I mean, as we've just established, there are so many links to other places. That's where we get Finland involved. And Iceland is a product of the Viking Age. Iceland as a place of Scandinavians is established during the Viking Age. Um, possibly under influence of those political, uh, that political turmoil that happens in Norway uh, under aforementioned Harold Feinherr and the, his attempts to assemble Norway. The first historical mention of Norway as a country, or at least a region, is um, Othere, 
um, or Ottar, um, um, who reports uh, to the English king in uh, the 890s um, that the, that stretch of, of Western Scandinavia along the coast is called Norway. And the interesting thing here is, of course, that the word itself means the, the, the way to the north. And I mean, we can even hear that in the word today, Norway. And that, of course, then tells us that it is probably more a, um, a geographical stretch for him than, than, than an actual country. And we also know this when we dig into uh, the different regional names in Norway. We can see very distinct tribal names along the coast scattered uh, downwards, right? Denmark, uh, in this period of time, is a known polity. The word Denmark um, is mentioned in continental sources, um, um, I believe from the 800s. And of course, we also have it on the uh, that um, uh, aforementioned runestone by Harold Bluetooth. And he also claims to have conquered Norway, by the way. Um, whether or not that was actually the case, that's another uh, <laughs> very valid question. Um, so, so that's a polity uh, that exists on that peninsula in the archipelago and what is now southern Sweden. And again, we have to ask ourselves, how many actual ethnicities is this area made up of? And we know at least, you know, the tribal name, the Jutes, which is the name that has been applied to the Jutland Peninsula. And we know the Danes has another tribal name. And then we also know from historical sources that in this period of time, there are also Slavs living in the area. And we have Frisians, we have um, Saxons, and, you know, a hard part of a lot of other peoples, right? And then we have, you know, again, when we look at Sweden, different tribes, and we have the Sami people living all the way down to approximately what is now modern day Oslo. So that would be most of the Scandinavian peninsula where you could find Sami people at the time. And in Finland, as I mentioned, we have uh, several ethnic groups involved. And so at some point, you know, in our um, history writing, these Scandinavian countries, Nordic countries, whatever we want to call them, decide to, you know, say, well, we have always been Danes. We have always been Norwegians. We have always been Swedes. And that, you know, in, in so many ways happens in a process of uh, several hundred years. Um, it, depending on country literature and also the way that we want to read the, that literature, um, we can talk about uh, these distinct national um, um, identities cropping up, say, in the 15, 1600s, or we can go even further back. If we, if we really want to believe the, the idea of sort of, you know, single unified identities um, that are Norwegian or Swedish or Danish and so on, we can also find that mentioned in the saga literature, but it doesn't seem to be the same as what we would consider them to be today. But at the basis of all of this, I would say that in so many ways, these identities of these five um, Scandinavian countries, Iceland, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and Finland, 
are a product of the 19th century more than anything else. That's when we really invent ourselves. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, the concepts and identities didn't exist before, but the way that they, that we talk about ourselves today comes from the 19th century. All of it comes down to, you know, the big um, political upheavals and wars that happened in that period. As I mentioned before, Finland gets conquered by Russia in 1809. Um, in 1814, um, Norway is ceded by Denmark to Sweden, um, um, thanks to um, the Napoleonic Wars. And then in the 1840s and 1860s, Denmark um, is... Um, <laughs> smart enough to go to war with Prussia and <laughs> loses half of the country. <laughs> you know, that, that stretch of northern Germany that goes almost all the way down to Hamburg used to be part of the Danish territory, or at least belonging to the Danish king. Um, it's not anymore because we went to war with Prussia. <laughs> and so on and so forth, right? So... <laughs> Again, what we're seeing is this tapestry of, of, of curious events throughout history that have produced these peoples today, right? Sometimes I just get lost listening to your, your vast wealth of knowledge and forget that I'm going to speak back. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I, no, it, 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 I talk honestly, a lot. <laughs> no, it, it, it's wonderful, like... It's good because it's not just it's not just Viking based or Norse based or you know whatever you want to word you want to use. That your knowledge spans so much further than that that you can explain why things happened. You know, leading all the way from the Viking Age right up to to modern day. So there's so much that that just you know speaking about th things like that. But I just get lost listening. It's just <laughs> just all these these, these little things that. that that happened and triggers going off in my mind is oh well that's why this this is and uh, no it's yeah. good I enjoy it. <laughs> well, that's good to, to know. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully other people do too. But yeah. I certainly do. <laughs> I hope nobody's getting bored. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, let's just take one example of all of this, right? So the Danish border today runs um, um, just north of um, a relatively, at least back then major city of Flensburg, uh, which is now a German town. Um, before um, the border moved uh, north, um, Flensburg was um, the rum capital of Denmark. Um, so we're really sad we lost that one. <laughs> but, yeah, um, there you are. Right? <laughs> but the thing about Flensburg is that it's sort of in, in the center of you know, another polity, and that is Schleswig. And Schleswig today um, is separated uh, in a north and a south. And um, in Denmark, we call that northern part of Schleswig, um, we, we, we call that southern Denmark. And in Germany, they still call it Schleswig. And um, what really happened in that series of wars um, um, that culminated with 1864, which is sort of like the, the big Danish uh, war tragedy that we like to make stories about and movies about, and I don't know what. Um, what really happened there was not that Denmark um, lost 
southern Denmark. It was that Schleswig became part of Germany. Um, and that means that a people, those people who lived in Schleswig as, uh, in, back then, they became divided, uh, pretty much half and half. And then they were asked, um, uh, either be German or be Danish, or they weren't asked, they were told. And we see um, Danish speakers at this, um, on, this, on the southern side of that new fence that was drawn, um, being uh, um, in some ways uh, more or less forcefully assimilated to German identity. Uh, we see uh, Germans having to uh, assimilate to Danish identity up north of the border and so on. And ultimately, what this really is, is sort of a you know, local tragedy of a local identity. That would be that Schleswig identity, which was separate from the Jutlanders north and the Danes east and the Saxons down south, right? And that's the identity that had existed for a very long time. And so, so I think that example just uh, perfectly illustrates the way that these um, identity politics and uh, lines being drawn by people in power, uh, what they do, right? Because nowadays, um, it is more, there are still res uh, residual elements of that Schleswig identity down in southern Denmark and northern Germany. But ultimately, uh, people either think of themselves as Danes or Germans, um, perhaps northern Germans, and so on. And then you get that uh, odd person here and there down south uh, who who is you know, for Dane German, but thinks of themselves as Danish and so on, right? Um, but what it really says is, of course, that none of this is so simple as to draw a line in the sand and say that, oh, this part is now part of Denmark, this part is now part of Germany, and that's it. And it, that's the same thing when we go to Finland, it's the same thing when we go to Sweden, and, and when we go to Norway and Iceland and so on. We have regional identities. Um, there, there are people in West London in, in Norway who um, would probably rather have, you know, just the Western part of Norway being Norway. And then those people over there on the Eastern side in Oslo, they can, you know, figure out their own thing and so on, right? <laughs> that, that reminds me of kind of what it feels like to be from Yorkshire. We kind of just let everyone else in the UK do their thing. We if we could kind of like just chop Yorkshire away and just float away into the sea, I think. <laughs> Exactly right, <laughs> and as and as somebody from Jutland, I kind of think the same thing sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that brings us on to the, the next point quite nicely, um, and that is the word Germanic. Now, this is a word that I see used that I rarely use, and that's probably because of what I'm about to say that I don't have that great of an understanding of of, of what it is or what it means. So. Hopefully you can shed some light on that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely you know it, it, it's a word that gets flown around at this sort you know this sort of time period. Um, so it would be nice to have a a better understanding of, of of who they were during you know during this time. Yes. So actually, during this time, with for instance the Viking Age or or the medieval period, Germanic wasn't really a thing. Um, we have to go farther back in time. That's problem, problem, problem solved. Let's just, let's just call it 
Solved. Uh, really so That's it. Solved. Nice and simple. <laughs> so, so the, the reason that the word Germanic is used today is um, thanks to the 19th century and also the 18th century when we have all of these peoples in that area of what is now Germany and also other parts um, of, of Central Europe. Uh, who are figuring out their identity and they're looking back to um, the old Roman literature about their area. And of course, you know, um, Caesar's Gallic Wars and um, more importantly, uh, Tacitus's um, Germania um, come into play. So we have in that period of time, the first centuries AD, Romans um, solidifying their presence in um, northwestern uh, continental Europe, right? Along, you know, on the southwestern side of the Rhine. And they're looking across the Rhine and they're calling that area over there Germania. And that's really where the word comes from. This is the Roman name for various peoples living on the other side of the Rhine. Primarily, if we if we dig into Tacitus, who is writing in the la, in the last decade of the first century AD, you know he mentions tribal names that are somewhat discernible to us today. Um, some of this, some of them um, um, seem seem to be real tribal names of of peoples that existed for several centuries after he wrote about them. And, but he does seem to, you know, really just include anybody that he knows about over there on the other side, which is also why it looks like he includes a, a tribal name that looks very much like Estonians, the Eisti, uh, into that Germanic identity. And that, of course, then tells us that if we're, if they are actually Estonians, then um, then that people uh, would be a Fennoukric speaking people, and therefore not a Germanic speaking people, um, which I will come to uh, get to in a second. And and so, as you can see right there, there, there is some confusion when Tacitus is talking about the peoples that belong to that Germanic commonality or whatever it is. Um, and so, flash forward to modern times where we talk about um, the Germanic peoples. Well, first and foremost, today, that is uh, in scholarship, mostly just recognized as a linguistic community. And that linguistic community includes the English, uh, because the English language is at its, its basic core, at least uh, Germanic. Um, it includes, uh, of course, German and Dutch, and Flams in, in, in Belgium. It includes Denmark as uh, Danish. It includes Sweden as Swedish and Norway, Iceland, Faroe Islands. Um, it also includes that Dutch outlier known as Afrikaans in South Africa, and so on and so forth. Right? So we're dealing with the languages that have uh, vocabulary and grammatic and syntactical uh, commonality and common origin. That's what Germanic really is, language. Um, talking about cultural commonalities, yeah, that 
what's cultural commonalities between these peoples back when Tacitus was talking about them and later on and so on, just like there was between uh, Slavic peoples and so-called Germanic peoples or Germanic peoples and Roman-speaking peoples and so on and so forth, right? And yeah, some of them had closer um, cultural um, um, affinity, but uh, nonetheless, at the very basic of all of this, we're talking about languages and, and we can't necessarily talk about much more. If we want to talk culture in that regard, right? The French could be included in Germanic in the sense that they originate from, at least the, the, the name of France originates in that Germanic tribe called the Franks who migrated across the Rhine at some point then established themselves in um, Austria and, and Neustria um, um, which is now that northern French Belgian area um, today and so on and so forth <laughs> so so again complicated again um, if it, it, it is only through various kinds of constructions that you could talk about uh, the Germanics being being a people or being being the same kinds of people. They're the same in some ways, and they're the, they're different in other ways. And the ways that you know, for instance, the Germanic-speaking peoples in Scandinavia are um, are different um, from Germans are the same ways that they're different from you know Slavic-speaking peoples over to the east and so on and so forth, right? Um, so again, yeah, we're um, we use that to talk about a language commonality, and and we shouldn't really use it to talk about much more than perhaps you know constructed identities from the 19th century and onwards. Yeah, that I mean that's definitely interesting for me because I always saw or thought of when people would you know say the Germanic peoples. Mm-hmm. Uh, it always seems to be associated you know to people or a group of people in and around the area that is now Germany. So to hear you obviously say that we should only really look at it from a, a linguistic side is is pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, um, for instance, when we talk about in- English, for for many people, it's, it's perhaps obvious to see some commonalities between um, uh, the English language and also English culture and German language and German culture. But then again, we've had, uh, what, um, some 500 years of, of, of the English, um, you know, very strongly constructing a, a separate identity over there on the islands. Um, so, so how much can we, can we, you know, claim these commonalities and how, how much, how valid are they actually? sort of in a real reality sense, right? All Europeans share a lot of commonalities because, hey, there's a lot of people that have been spending a lot of time together in a small area and so on, right? Um, but Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Is the, the more we talk, the more it just feels like Europe's just throughout, you know, throughout history, throughout especially the, the medieval period, just a big melting pot of, of people who, with you know tribes travel here there and cultures mix and it, it it's hard to or almost you know it's impossible to say this one group of people came from here mm-hmm. and it's just not as simple as that you can't there's no sort of single absolute identity of 
of one single place. No, and, and, and I think, you know, the Goths, this mythical Germanic tribe, are the greatest example of this. So they possibly have their origin on the Scandinavian Peninsula. That is still debated. We're not entirely sure, but there are certain things that point to, towards an origin in, in sort of like that south-central area of Sweden. And then what do they do? Well, at some point, it's, I guess, they, they, they decide, let's, let's get out of Sweden and, and uh, let's go to Poland. Okay, so now we're in Poland. Where do we go? Well, some of you could go to Ukraine. Okay, let's do that. And then some others are like, eh, let's go down to the Hungarian, Slovakian area and hang out there for a while. And others are like, oh, no, uh, our kingdom got destroyed over in, uh, in the Ukraine by the Huns. And now we're going to all go to what was then called Greece, which would now be Bulgaria and Romania. And they hang out there for a while. And then some of them decide to go to Italy. Let's establish a kingdom over there. Hey, let's take over Rome. Yeah, sure, let's do that. And, oh, let's let's go to France. Okay, we hang out in France for a while. And finally, some of them are also like, hey, man, let's go to North Africa. <laughs> so, so, so what does that say? Well, it says that people migrate. And it also tells us that, um, as we can see, if we trace these this tribe or whatever we can call them uh, if you trace their naming traditions and and cultural traditions and whatever else they bring with them that is a constant flux and it changes constantly as they are moving through europe and they're probably like the example of the tribe that you know goes the farthest <laughs> they're all over the map literally that's it i mean when you're not bound by by borders by needing a passport by, you know, just, it was, it was a much freer way of life and you could, you know, you could pack up everything you owned into a, you know, into a small, small area and mm -hmm. take it with you. You, you know, it wasn't like you had a mortgage or a, a, you know, a brick building that you couldn't move, that you'd have to sell and all these, all these possessions that we own today that are just, you know, materialistic. It was a, a much simpler way, and it was easier for people to just to just move. You know, if they're in in one spot and they discover that there's a you know a place a hundred miles away that is significantly better, they have significantly better farming ground. It's the weather's better. Then why not move? Yeah, exactly. And and when you then get to that other place and you meet the people who are living there. Um, in so many ways, you're more likely to, you know, um, to some extent, at least adopt the identity of the peoples living there, which is exactly what happened with the Goths, right? As soon as they went to, um, to, to Italy, uh, bam, uh, they adopted local dress and, um, you know, started acting like the Italian peoples living there, right? And, and so... I would say I imagine that part of that is is that those cultures and those traditions will have developed from the, the the climate, from the way of life that suits best to the area. So if you move from again to put it into, into simple terms, one thing is is if I was to move to to say the Middle East to to you know Abu Dhabi or something like that, then the clothes I wore would change drastically because I would wear the clothes that were best suited to the area. And what would be the most comfortable that you know and imagine that is what happens to 
to people. So, so when these tribes move around, it's not necessarily they're changing their identities for, you know, just to adopt the identity of somewhere else. It's because they're, they're, they're making their situation easier by learning from the people who already live in a certain area. Yeah, that's that's if you're smart, at least, and most people have been <laughs> throughout history. There, yeah. there are examples of of the opposite, especially when it comes to the colonization of North America. Uh, <laughs> like, for instance, the Swedish colony in Delaware that kept important uh, importing foods from Sweden because they couldn't figure out how to grow stuff there. <laughs> but <laughs> those are it's sort an expensive of expensive way to do it. Right? That's, I think that's why they gave up that calling. Yeah. <laughs> but I that's, imagine it didn't last too long. No, I think it was 30 years when they sold yeah. it. Um, but yeah, the, the, those are more anomalies than than, than um, what seems to be happening across the planet. When, when peoples migrate, they, they usually manage to, to adapt to the local um, um, uh, climate, as you say, as, as one thing, and and quite often also, in some way or another, integrate with the um, the, the peoples uh, living there. The, this tendency of not doing that, uh, not integrating, as we see in colonial times, is uh, you know more distinctly modern than than not. And of course, I'm I'm painting with broad strokes here because you can find plenty of examples of of peoples who haven't done that or have only done that to a certain extent, and so on. But I would say that if we look at it, you know, in the broad perspective, um, what we usually see is that migrating peoples, wherever they land, they, you know, assimilate to some extent to to what was already happening there, right? Um, and that's that is definitely what happens with these Goths when they're moving around in in the Mediterranean, Southern Europe, and Northern Africa. And so, our next question is then. Uh, what is it that makes them Germanic? When do they stop being Germanic? Like how um, how many layers of Roman garb are you need, do you need to wear to <laughs> to to be Latin <laughs> as opposed to Germanic and so on? Right. That's always defined by the period in time that is looking at it. Right. Whether it's contemporary or later periods and and so on and so forth. To the extent that these peoples were still speaking the Gothic language, I guess they would linguistically qualify as Germanic. They become something else once they, you know, have have been moving around for several centuries and settled in several areas, right? Yeah. So I think we've kind of rounded up that it's it's complicated once again. It's always very complicated. So that's it. You know, it's it's. It's a term that, that I guess is used kind of as an all-encompassing term for, for people of, uh, around that kind of area. And, you know, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. In some ways, I think there could also be positive aspects to talking about a Germanic identity. I mean, if nothing else, it, it, it makes people who otherwise are busy um, figuring out the, the ways that they're different, even though there's no... You know, Incredible, incredibly similar. Um, it makes them, uh, or it gives them, a possibility to to think about each other as as more common uh, with one another, like that they share a commonality. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So should we have a quick look at Anglo-Saxon, and which is another one, obviously, that's around in the, the, the same time of the Viking Age. Uh, we all know that the Vikings and the Anglo-Saxons have a 
a huge run in 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 Britain. So let's you know let's quickly have a look at who they were at the at the time, and it just hopefully it gives people a better understanding of kind of like the whole of who's around and what's going on. Yeah, so you know, I think the, from from the perspective of of someone like me who um, is a scholar of uh, of uh, the Viking Age and 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 all that stuff, right? Uh, the interesting thing is, um, what does Anglo-Saxon actually mean in terms of commonalities with Vikings um, coming over, Scandinavians settling over there? And first of all, we have to, of course. Keep in mind that the Angles and Saxons and Jews migrate to uh, Britain uh, in the 400s and then establish their little kingdoms. And for a very long time, they don't necessarily see each other as as you know uh, as the same. We the, the Saxons don't necessarily see um, the Jews as 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 the same as themselves and the Angles and so on. So that's the first thing to realize that when these Scandinavians show up in the British Isles, we have a bunch of um, Anglo-Saxon kingdoms and the Anglo-Saxon here means um, Angles and Saxons primarily um, that are different from one another. Um, so therefore there's not a unified single Anglo-Saxon identity. Then, you know, we have the process of uh, some kind of unification um, under Alfred the Great. At least he manages to establish alliances and, you know, uh, you know push back against the Scandinavians. And, and this, of course, you know, brings people closer in terms of an Anglo-Saxon identity. But if we think about, you know, the period from 400 to 793, when the famous attack on Lindisfarne happens. Well, what is happening in that period? We have, first of all, we have peoples from Northern Germany and Southern Scandinavia migrating to Britain, right? And when we start looking into some archeological aspects of these early, especially the East Anglian cultures, you know, they, Sutton Hoo as a great example, they have a lot in common with Scandinavia. So, you know, we, we should ask ourselves, is there simply just like, do they cut off ties as soon as they have arrived over there? Probably not. And another important uh, hint in that direction is um, from the 500s, we have the establishment of the Emporia, these trade ports along the North French uh, coast and uh, also um, on the British Isles. York is a great example of this. And these are trade ports that are directed, you know, northeast um, because trade is getting more difficult in the Mediterranean. And so that means that we have trade going through Scandinavia from the British Isles and also, you know, the French coast. And again, that would then indicate that there is a little more communication across the channel, <laughs> across the North Sea. And, and then we have the Vikings showing up. And they don't show up out of the blue. I mean, they, they, they don't come out of nowhere. They, they're part of that, you know, long, uh, you know, chain of interaction that, that begins with the 
Angles and Saxons and Jutes migrating over there. When these Scandinavians, they show up on the shores, the linguistic differences between the languages that are being spoken by these Angles and Saxons in, in England um, and then the Scandinavians aren't that big. They would be able to communicate with one another. It's not like what we see in Vikings where they're like, oh, I have to learn your language. It's more like, oh, you speak my language, but it's broken, <laughs> you know? So, so they're much more, you know, similar than different. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, so they already knew that the brain was there, the, it wasn't a case of like, I guess if anybody's watched the show Vikings, as you, as you just referenced, <laughs> In the first episode, I think Ragnar has like his little stone, and it, it's almost like they're a discovering of a new land. Yeah, no, um, that's no, kind of that's... how it's made out to be. It's you know, it's 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 I've got this stone, it lets me go, you know, sail sail to, to, to a different place, and then we've discovered this new land that's that's, that's got wealth. And yeah, no, we have pre Viking age, um, Scottish artifacts found in Norwegian graves, so there's there's communication across um yeah this they, they know about each other and to some extent there are relations too and um and that of course then of course should tell us that when when we when we see them in the source material um talking about each other um, especially the saxons talking about these northmen or Danes or heathens, as they usually call them, as uh, um, when they talk about them as, as something that they don't really know or understand, um, that's political. It's it's because it's because all of these people showed up and and started conquering stuff. That's why we don't like them. It's not because we don't know who they are. It's not because they they are like in fundamentally different from us. You know, they're probably, you know, they are very certainly primarily pagans, right? Um, and and uh, we're dealing with uh, English kingdoms uh, that are Christian at this time. But nonetheless, aside from that, we know pretty much who, who we're dealing with here. We we know that that oh these these guys are the ones who are doing the same thing as our you know ancestors that we saw the light and became Christians instead and. And that's the main difference between us. And then the fact, of course, that they kind of seem to want to conquer stuff at this point. Yeah, so it's not it's not just some new some new race of people that have never been seen before that are giants and swinging these giant axes around. And, <laughs> Absolutely <you> know, not. <laughs> and and the other thing is that you know this this what we can see is also. When we look at you know the prolifer the proliferation of artifacts in trade ports in Scandinavia in this period in the Viking Age, when we can see that there is a drop in trade, that's when we see you know warfare intensifying. So what we're really dealing with here is is uh, you know local chieftains, rulers, and so on trying to maintain a steady income, and if they can't get that from trade, then they get it from warfare. And conquest. That, of course, then begs the question: What is the Scandinavian motivation for going, you know, to the British Isles, particularly? Because that is something that they do. And it, I mean, you, 
you can see this from all the Scandinavian place names scattered around the, the English countryside. Uh, there's there's a, a very big influx of Scandinavians in this period. It, they're probably just doing exactly what their cousins did. Uh, you know, the Anglo-Saxons and Jutes that came from southern Scandinavia and northern Germany. Uh, these later Scandinavians, 300 years later, 400 years later, they they know what's up. They, they're like, yeah, let's go do what, uh, you know, those you know, distant cousins did some, some several hundred years ago. Let's just, uh, you know, go colonize. <laughs> yeah, let's go take some, take some wealth. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe, maybe they they even expected you know a friendly greeting. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, you don't. I mean, <laughs> you don't know. Because, I mean, you again. You've got to remember it's a different time. There's there's no internet. There's no kind of like let's just see what's going on over there. Let's message our our friends who who moved to a different land. You they have no. They probably have no idea what they're ultimately going to find. No, and um, I mean, they, they, all they know is reports from uh, traveling merchants, right, that are coming through the area. And and if some traveling merchant says, you know what, there are these you know awesome places where uh, they have a bunch of gold and they have no guards because all they do is pray to some god we don't know anything about, then of course somebody's going to say, well, that's an easy target. That's my sitting duck right there. Let me shoot it. <laughs> well that, that that's it that's i mean let's go make a name for ourselves let's uh let's go take some gold yeah exactly what is really interesting is of course this concept of the dane law that's then being established right and um because we, we then have a treaty that is being settled where we sort of like define some kind of uh weird boundary uh, between where scandinavians are and um where where the uh, Saxons are. But the thing about this Dane law is that we can't really find any really solid evidence for actual legal concepts that are specific to the Dane law and also similar to what we see in Scandinavia. So, so it's not like, you know, this is quote unquote Danish law that rules this area. Um, it's more something that, that has to do with um, ethnic distinctions, perhaps, because we see, you know, in times of political turmoil, the, the difference between Danes or Northmen, as they are also called, and then Angles and Saxons or Anglo-Saxons is being invoked, you know, again and again. And we also have, you know, genocides, um, it, it, it attempted ex exterminations of Scandinavians, um, and then retaliations as well. And that is where things really start to in integrate in the beginning of the thousands. And then, of course, what we already have at that point is an integrated elite, right? We have a English, Scottish uh, even, and then Scandinavian elite that is being more and more integrated. And that's, of course, also part of where Normandy fits into the picture, right? Because what do we have in the beginning of the thousands? Well, we have Knut the Great who manages to take over, um, what is it, in uh, 10, 16 to 18, he's, um, he's waging war and then he gets elected um, in the Wheaton as King of England. He's more a King of England than he's a King of any Scandinavian country, even though we Danes love to say that he's a Danish King. 
and then you know um uh, some 40 uh no 50 years later we have um we have Willem the Conqueror showing up and who is Willem the Conqueror well he's a cousin of of these guys <laughs> right yeah i always um, i always find that quite interesting because my my kind of like lineage goes back to the to the Norvids. so it's always been my little sneaky way of being like oh well you know because <laughs> of the vikings so there's a link there yeah there you go <laughs> it's always uh there's always a way to link back to the vikings one way or another yeah and 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 that's that's again like if we go back to the example of the goths so we have these um vikings that go to normandy get land and then you know start speaking f- some kind of french and they, they use their own terminology for certain things. Uh, several, uh, you know, maritime words in French, and especially in Norman French, um, are direct descendants of, of Scandinavian. The same in English, right? When when the, the the whole thing goes down at Stamford Bridge, right? What do we have? We have Harold Godwinson, the so-called last Anglo-Saxon king, on the one side, and we have. Um, um, Harold Hardruller, a so-called Norwegian king on the other side. Why is Harold Hardruller there? Well, he's there because he's got a family tie claim to the throne. And Harold Godwinson, as much as he is Anglo-Saxon, his mother uh, is Scandinavian. And then, you know, Harold Govinson is lucky enough to defeat his cousin <laughs> or distant cousin. And that's when his other distant cousin then shows up, what, eight months later and, and defeats him in Hastings. <laughs> oh, it's, it's such a mess. It is such a mess. It is it's such a mess. But I, don't, I don't think we or anybody can ever strain it out completely. No, no, of course not. Um, but it's interesting, though, that, you know, when we talk about English history, Norman conquest is sometimes, at least, maybe more often than not, represented as some kind of like French invasion. Right? Yeah. But but it's not a French no, no. invasion the, the, more than anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the Vikings got us one way or another. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> and that's <laughs> when... A, they, that, I think our, you know, our histories, our our DNA is 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 locked together. No matter how you how you look at it, whether you're you're English or you're Scandinavian. Oh yes, yeah. you know our the histories are just entangled for forever. I think you're right about that. <laughs> right, I think that's a a good place to to wrap this up. It's been a I think it's been a long one, but hopefully we we straighten out a few things, a few. A few words that, that people get thrown about and and hopefully straight out for, for going forward so people have a better understanding about what all these things mean. I know I certainly do. Uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm glad that, that you do. I I, I hope uh, um, your listeners are bear with me uh, yeah. <laughs> as I no, go on these long rants. And no, they trust me. The messages we get, they they definitely enjoy. Enjoy that's, the long rants. That's that's wonderful. If nothing else, you can always pass. Okay, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so going forward, we we we're going to try and commit to two episodes a month on the first and the fifteenth of every month. So just try and get a bit more structure. Try and get a bit, a bit more regularity to it. So you guys know exactly when we're going to be releasing the next episode. So you can anticipate it 
Absolutely, yeah, and, and we love those uh, listener questions. So um, we're we're going to put in a segment at the end of uh, each uh, episode from now on, where we take questions um, that uh, Daniel will uh, uh, pick out of a hat or something like that. <laughs> I'm sure I'll advertise them for on our Instagram, and we'll uh, we'll make a list. You know, yeah, do a couple each each show. I think that'll be fun. Yeah. And basically, yeah. I mean, if anybody has has any feedback for us, any anything you'd like us to add, or anything we, we could alter or do better, feel free to let us know. I mean, pos- positive or negative feedback is always the best way to learn. It's we're we're not going to get upset if you say, you know, we like the show, but maybe if you did this, obviously, please don't just come at us and be like, you know, it, it's it's shit. Stop doing what you're doing. But you at least, you know, it, yeah, you, you guys are terrible. Like, at least, you know, if you, if you come and say, you know, start out with something nice, maybe we enjoy the show, but and then and then you know, just let us know what we could we, we could maybe do better, what we could change. We we we're both learning at this. We're both you know trying to do try to pick up as we go along. We certainly are. I want to yeah. thank everybody who has been listening to this uh, episode. And I am looking forward to hearing your comments and feedback and questions in the future. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's been a long one, so hopefully you've all all enjoyed it, and we will we will see you soon.